Drop off the kids or put them to bed. Turn on Childish with real life friends and podcasting virtuosos Greg Fitzsimmons and Allison Rosen. Laugh about the struggles and joys of parenthood. Grow closer to your children. Learn something useful or not. Maybe feel less alone. And maybe even put the spark back into your love life. Childish is for people who are parents or had parents. If you had no parents, maybe check out WTF with Mark Marin. Subscribe to Childish. New episodes coming soon wherever you listen to podcasts. Childish, oh shit. Last time I checked, I was still a kid. Childish, childish. This all freaks me out a bit. Childish, oh shit. How can I pet when I'm still a kid? Childish, oh shit. Hey everyone, hi, hello, welcome to another episode of Allison Rosen is your new best friend. I am sitting here with return guest and someone I always love talking to and someone that I relate so strongly to, Sarah Schaefer. Hi, welcome. I'm so glad to be back. Congratulations on your new album. Thanks. Live Life Love. Live Laugh Love. Live Laugh Love, which is written on Driftwood. Yes. It's an inspirational Driftwoody kind of thing, Mm -hmm. which plays a big role in your album. Yep. Yeah. Which I want to get into in a moment. Wonderful. But first, you were so this will air in either end of February or early March. Mm-hmm. You were last on the show in August. Yeah. So Oh yeah. So I had you pretty happened. recently. Yeah. You should feel honored because I usually <laughs> space it out a little more, except for Greg Fitzsimmons, with whom I have another podcast called Childish. He and I, before we launched our pod- podcast, were doing each other's podcasts a lot. But other than that, I usually space it out like over a year. But yeah. You posted something on mm. social media, which I know you have a very complex relationship yeah. with, which I do as well, yeah. um, talking about how much you had accomplished when you uh, reduced the amount of time you spent yes. on social media. And this, like, for me, it was like, damn it, I knew it. <laughs> I yeah. knew that's how me it worked. Me too. And, yeah. but it's like every time I'd be reading it, I'd be like, and I'm on Twitter at four in the morning thinking about this, mm-hmm. but... It was so monumental to me that I went on to discuss it, and I mentioned your name on like three different podcasts, and I'm like, I just, now that you have an album, because you have an album, I don't want to talk about that, but I also just have to have you on to talk about that whole process. Yes, please. Tell me, tell me. So I think um, it must have been right after I did your podcast, I went on an eight-day whitewater rafting trip in the Grand Canyon, 224 Mm -hmm. miles on the Colorado River, no cell phone service, no access at all. Is this the kind of thing that you like to do? Are you outdoorsy and not at all? Okay, uh, wasn't prepared uh, mentally. Did not understand truly how intense it was going to be. I and the closer we got, the more information I would get, and the scared, more scared I would get. And I'm really scared of like water and. Mm-hmm potentially falling off the boat and things like that. This is what um, I would be worried about all of that. Um, truly so scared and like was told, you know, you're going to want to sleep outside because the tent's going to be too hot. And I just, the thought of sleeping outside with nothing around me was so scary. All it just conquered so many fears in one week. And I did it with my younger sister and it was just incredible. And um, when I got out I thought, you know what? I've gone eight days, the longest I've gone um, since we had all this stuff introduced to our lives (laughs) without, you know, social media um, or email or phone or anything. Um, And I felt good. You know, I didn't feel like, oh, I feel like disconnected. Yeah. You know, I I felt, but I felt it was the right time if I was going to scale back in a real way on social media, it was the right time to do it. Um, so I had discovered this app before this, but I decided to give it another go and be really serious about it. It's this app called Freedom. And now the phone, iPhone also has screen time, a built-in tracker, and you can use that tool to block certain 
apps on your phone for a certain time of the mm-hmm. day and you know whatever so um but when a freedom will block uh whatever apps or websites you want on all your devices for however long you want on however many days you want and there's different settings you can make it like really hard to get around it you can make it easier to get around it you know <laughs> there's uh it's a tool. Now it's buggy. They need to like work on some of the ways that, you know, Facebook and Instagram are harder to block on your phone, mm-hmm. but Twitter's my real problem. So it works like magic on Twitter. Like you cannot get into Twitter. What happens if you click on the Twitter icon? It just won't refresh. It's like the internet is down for that app. So, uh, I, I set it to, um, you know, I, cause I tried all kinds of things over the years. I'd had somebody doing my social media for me that didn't work. Um, I had somebody, I had it completely blocked off, you know, tried to delete it off my phone. <laughs> that didn't work. Total removal wasn't working for me. And right. as someone who's trying to promote things and on the road and well, that's a point you made in your post was that you had been under the, like a lot of us in entertainment think we these are like lifelines for us. Like we have yeah. to be on them, but you found that that not to be the, the well, case. right. So, um, I set it so that it wasn't a time limit. It was truly the only a window during the day that I could access it. So between one and 3 PM Pacific time is when I have access to Twitter, Instagram, I can get on all day mm-hmm. if I want, but I don't really have a problem with Instagram. Right. Like it's just, I guess who I follow or whatever. It's just a different experience mm-hmm. for me. And I don't really use Facebook to begin with. I got off that years ago. We're kind of the same. So Twitter was my real problem. I mean, I would get up in the morning. The first thing I would look at would be Twitter. I would go to uh, accounts that make me mad, political things, mm-hmm. pundits that and you know I knew were going to piss me off. Right. It would send me into a toxic anger the moment I fucking woke up. <laughs> yeah. And then it would be, then I would go down rabbit holes. I would get in arguments with people. Um, it just was a really bad place for me. And um, so by not having access to it most of the day, especially in the morning and especially at night, it immediately like freed up my mind. Um, and I got so much done in such a short amount of time, like in from, so that was the beginning of September to like January. I like wrote two scripts. I, I rewrote most of my book. I like did all this research on my book. I, I, wrote on a show i you know i like did etsy like i have an etsy shop i made all this <laughs> stuff i did all my christmas stuff i like rearranged my house like it was just insane you know and i was disgusted i mean i was just like oh there was a problem and i knew it right and it took me this long to figure it out and you really think had you not done this you would not have accomplished that much no the, i mean i now know because there's been days where like i've i've you know, like when my album came out, I set it the day before so I could have access all day long. So I wanted to be on it promoting. And I spent the whole day on Twitter. Yeah. The whole day just refreshing it, you know, and there was a lot going on. I was like checking and stuff, but like I, and then, but I went and looked at, you know, what, what's so-and-so tweeting about, you know, you you just get dragged into stuff. And I just didn't, um, Needed And then now that I was using this system, there would be days on end where I wouldn't even look because I'd forget. So now it wasn't part of my mm-hmm. routine and I, I wasn't thinking about it as much. And one thing I will notice is that I will say is that my follower count has gone down. Really? It's like I'm being punished <laughs> for not using it. But I, th- my I think theory- the more I tweet, the more my follower count goes down. <laughs> well, my theory is that it's an algorithm. So if you're on Twitter a lot and you're engaging and checking and tweeting and faving and people are seeing your tweets and they're faving them, now you're being introduced into their algorithm. Right. And they're seeing, oh, new tweets from Sarah Schaefer and they're getting into other people's feeds faster. And so when you're not engaged in it, you just drop off. Mm-hmm. And then you're not gaining followers. And then the spam accounts that are getting deleted, you start, you know, so you right. start losing followers. Um, and that would send me into a panic at first because we've been trained in this very short amount of time to believe that the number of followers you have is essential to your career. Right. Because for maybe a year, it was. They were like, how many followers does she have? I, right. You know, now... It, no, it doesn't I've matter anymore. Nobody cares. Jobs to people. I mean, it's a long time ago, but I remember this this thing I auditioned for, and 
and and they wanted someone with a social media presence mm-hmm. and the woman who got it had like 600 followers i was like are you kidding <laughs> like yeah. obviously they don't really care no and that's it's a lie that we've been told yeah and um so i just it was just gone from my psyche in a way that i've never experienced since twitter started and i got so much done my happiness is much better and you know just not being dragged into such toxic i called it on that post i said it was unusable anger Mm -hmm. because i think anger can be good right but yeah it doesn't motivate you to do anything i'm not doing anything i'm just arguing and that's you know i've learned a lot from twitter like connected with things and people but now i know the websites to go to Mm -hmm. to get that perspective and read those writers' books and their articles, not necessarily their Twitter. Right. You know, and I miss stuff. Like, I'll miss out on... Now I'm realizing, like, oh, I'll miss out on the memes that people... Or the the, the, the viral thing of the day. Mm-hmm. But if I go on there and I check it once a day, just for a few minutes, I get a sense. Now, you know? I feel like I, I stay on top of news, but just a time... But I superficially stay on top of news via Twitter. Did you feel... So I replaced that with an app called Flipboard. Oh, yeah. And I just use that as my news. And I flip through it and I um, I make sure I know what's going on in the world. And that's it. Between one and three, would you be like, okay, I've got to send all these tweets and promote all... Like, did you have an agenda between Usually one and three? Usually it, it became just about promotion. If you go on my Twitter now and look at the last few months, it's mostly promotion. And nobody likes promotion, but I don't care. I, it's, I'm just doing That's, it just so yeah. that people know. Yeah. And um, um, I haven't really had anything funny to say on Twitter. And that was scary at first. It was like, oh my God, if I don't come up with something funny during this window or save the tweet or come up with tweet. And I realized I was just wasting time trying to think of something funny to say on Twitter. Right. The return on that is nothing. Right. I wrote a script that I had, I took a while outlining it and stuff, but to actually write the script took me maybe four days. And I was like, what a more valuable use of my time. A script that I could potentially go sell or get me a job in a show. Mm -hmm. Um, that's something I'd never done before by myself. I had written scripts before with other people, but never alone. And I was daunted by it. And I think me spending time trying to come up with a dumb tweet is just, there's no payback on that. See, if I, you're someone who's really good, they're like Jess Dweck, for instance, she's this oh, really she's funny great, comic. Yeah. She's very good at Twitter. She just comes up with great jokes that work on Twitter. And, and I don't think she has to work that hard to mm-hmm. do it. It's just her nature. Right. And so she's getting more bang for her buck. Mm-hmm. You know, she tweets something, it gets like 20,000 likes. You know, if I tweet something that like I worked on in my head for like an hour, you know, it's maybe a hundred likes. Yeah. Like, Woo! <laughs> you know, it's, it's not, and, and even Jess Wack, you know, she doesn't make money off Twitter. She, she writes, I think it helps her get jobs potentially because mm-hmm. people can see how good her jokes are. Right. You know, she's a great joke writer. Um, you know, but she's not making money off Twitter. She's making money off the jobs, you know. So for me, I don't think I'm going to get jobs based off of, like, tweets because it's not really my strength. Right. So I tried it, and now I'm sort of, like, letting go of it, you know. I also think sometimes being writing tweets makes you feel, and I'm talking about me, feel productive and yep. feel like I have a creative outlet. I said something today. Whereas, you know? if I, whereas like, if that was closed off, it might shoot out in another more productive direction yeah so tell me about the script you wrote um well and i guess i probably shouldn't say too much because you know what if someone stole my idea (laughs) no uh, it's just an idea i had for a show completely fictional not based on my own life which was just really fun to write and um um i did it it was just so great and and because i've been working on this book which is so personal and so challenging to write that it was really fun to focus on something like just, oh, I get to just make it up. Right. <laughs> I don't have to worry about what is the truth, you know? Right. When we last talked, <laughs> we talked a bit about the memoir that you're writing yeah. and you had revisited some diaries mm-hmm. um, and you talked about a real like traumatic turning point for you was when, when your dad kind of fell off the pedestal. Yeah. Yeah. And that, that book, uh, I don't know if it had happened yet, but when, when, uh, right around that day that I probably did your podcast, mm-hmm. it was probably right around the same time. Um, I got my feedback from the editor and it was just like, 
not not, not good not glowing <laughs> it was just it was very constructive mm-hmm. and i mean thank god because she she brought my book to another level right that is now at i hope <laughs> but yeah no i got feedback that was like you need more of a story here and you know was that hard oh it was really i went crazy at first i mean i was just like ah, no this is, i want it to be over you know but then um i took time and i went way deeper than i i thought i, I thought i had gone deep right i, had no I think idea. we talked about how i had no idea i mean i went way further into myself my stuff how my mom's journals read those i didn't oh, wow. do that the first time around which i'm like why didn't i do that but i couldn't didn't have access to them i went to this i went to all this trouble to get all this stuff that we had in a storage unit back in virginia and bring it mm-hmm. to the west coast because that's where me and my sisters live did you know that your mom had kept your mom passed yeah. away did you know that yeah. she had kept journals? yes and i just didn't know where they were mm-hmm. and um we went through this storage unit and we i found them and i was like oh thank god and we found all this stuff and um i just went really deep and um really mined my memory i was writing down anything that i could remember about my life on little cards Mm -hmm. and just because i needed to kind of go back to the drawing board and think about different stories and experiences from my life to draw on because a lot of the stuff that i'd used for the first version wasn't working and Um, did you think it was though some of it I did, but some of it I was like, I know this sucks, but I just got to put it in there, you know? So she, did she feel, it's a she, right? Yeah. Did she feel that it was like too much just a recounting of your life and not enough of a narrative arc or? Yeah. I think, you know, as a comedian, I think your gut instinct when you pitch a book is to pitch a book of essays because that's sort of the starter version of right. a book. Um, that's memoir, essay, memoir, you know, like hybrid and when I pitched it, we kind of came to the conclusion that I had more of a traditional memoir in this, but I think what I turned in was like a weird hybrid. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I needed more of a story, which was really hard because you're just like, what's the story? It's just my life. I don't know. And you're know. still you're, living it. Yeah. It's just really hard to examine yourself and decide what's interesting to what's going to be interesting to other people right i, I kind of compare it to when i wrote i wrote for who wants to be a millionaire mm-hmm. and i wrote the questions and it was really hard to be on the inside of the question to know how hard it was for someone else yeah so because we had to rate the difficulty and I, it took me a while to figure out what kind of question was hard and what kind of question was easy because to you, you know the answer. So mm-hmm. you're like, it's easy. Right. But to someone else, it's like, how would I ever know that? And so it's similar in the feeling of when I'm writing the book of selecting what to include and what not to include is how do I know if this is interesting to other people versus right. it's just interesting to me? How did you resolve that? I'm still resolving that. <laughs> <laughs> so um, if you were, and I know it's hard. I mean, you're saying right now it's hard to be objective and now I'm going to ask you to be objective. Yeah. But what is the memoir a story of? Um, well, it's kind of, I'm really glad to say I have like a real way of describing it now, which is I think is an evidence of what I was missing before, which is, and it's just very simple. It's just of my journey to being okay with myself. And um, I thought that was a boring premise at first. I was like, oh, that's just clear. Everybody is <laughs> too big picture. And I realized it's just like the most relatable and, and, you know, all the books are the same, you know, this is my journey to finding love. This right. is my journey. I hate the word journey, mm-hmm. but it's probably going to be on the freaking cover of my book or something, you know, <laughs> right. like the, right. the next scene is One like woman's journey. my journey by Sarah Schaefer. <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, it's, uh, like, you know, all, all the life is just a, you know, they're very universal experiences. Your journey your story of getting there is yours and people like to read stuff that they relate to yeah i've read a lot of memoirs since since getting off social media it's amazing (laughs) how many books you can read uh but yeah and i've read really mundane ones that are about nothing you would say you know but it's everything it's really entertaining or something that's like so dramatic my life would never compare right you know and i've read a bunch of different stuff and i'm like oh there's a lot of universal themes here and it's really just about your voice and conveying a story in a way that's really entertaining to read which is harder than it sounds but do you feel that you have uh where are you in that journey to being okay with Um, yourself 
She's allergic to the truth, <laughs> to, ins- to insightful questions. Uh, I had to think me. about it. No, um, Bless you. I would say um, it's so interesting to me. Again, I'm like, this is interesting to other people. And also, should I even be talking? I don't. No one's given me advice on how to do the book thing. I don't know if you're allowed to talk about it while you're writing it. I hope you are. <laughs> I think, I think I you are. Yeah. And I don't want to be the boring like books are hard, but they are. <laughs> um, but. In the journey to being okay, I think writing the book is the actual journey, but I can't write about that. Right. So I found other ways to write about it. But, um, um, I mean, truly this book is like, it's, it's changing me and will continue to change me because it's such an ex- exploration of myself and, um, my family and my perspective on the world and, um, just truly I'm ready to live in the present though. I feel like I'm kind of stuck in the past a little bit, mm-hmm. but, um, but yeah, I think, I think I'll always be becoming more okay with myself. Right. And there are times where it, it'll back track, you know, one of the theme, one of the kind of areas of the book is me talking about after years of therapy and thinking I've got it all figured out. Um, I'm plagued with self-hatred and Mm. I can't control it. It just pops into my head. And now I notice, I know the voice. Mm -hmm. I recognize it, the bad voice, and I know what it is, but it just pops up. Where do you, where do you think that comes from? I know you grew up religious. Yeah. Um, it's comes from, I mean, it seems to me that everyone has some voice in their head saying you're bad, you're Mm -hmm. not good enough, you're ugly, whatever the thing is that gets you. Um, mine just comes probably from genetics plus environment, the, the every, you know, the classic, but all of it. Yeah. But I think I was predisposed to think a certain way and then things happened in my life that hardened it, Mm -hmm. you know, the way you get a trigger that sort of like sets it in stone. Like, Oh, you were already kind of like this and then something happened that confirmed it. Um, so mine is always just like, you're not good at, you're not, not that you're not good enough, which, but that's the subtext, but it's that you're just not good. You're bad. Mm -hmm. You're a bad person. And you know, I mean, even today at work, I had, I emailed somebody an idea and within the five minutes of me not getting an immediate response, I had decided that this woman hated me and was like <laughs> calling the boss to say that she should be fired, you know? Yeah. And you're just, I think, where's this? I have no evidence. There's right. no information. That's what my therapist is really good. She's like, you have no information that's confirming that. And so you're just making stuff up, Yeah, you know, and... And it's just something your brain is doing, you know, and then she goes on the, the other side of things where I'm looking for confirmation. Mm, mm-hmm. The voice is always looking for the bad voice is always looking for real world examples that prove the point. Right. So I'll look, I'll be like, oh, see, see, they do hate you or you did. That was the wrong thing to do. You are bad, mm-hmm. you know, and um, it'll look for evidence or look for ways. Uh, one of the big ones I do is I look for rules to Mm -hmm. follow Mm -hmm. so for instance my last therapy session i went in and i sat down and she goes i was just thinking of you because on the npr there was a memoirist and i was like i was just listening to that and so we started talking about it and my takeaway from the interview was well she did it this way so i should do my book that way too because she's on npr and that was good and then i had just read a critique of a bad memoir and i was like that is bad and Mm -hmm. i can't do that and she's like, have you read either of these books? And I was like, no. <laughs> and she's like, okay, well, you know, you're making up things like rules that are now going to maybe con- potentially constrict you. Right. She's like, it's just information. You hearing that interview or you reading that, crit- it's just information that you can use, but you can also put it down and ignore it instead of feeling like you're bumping up against it. Like, well, my book doesn't do that. It's mm-hmm. not good enough, you know, or, you know, so I tend to look for rules to to justify you know feelings about myself and or guidance you know like i want rules to follow so that i can um feel like i'm being good did you and i'm relating so strongly to this yeah um do you feel like you grew up you were taught to doubt yourself at a certain point um or was there some aspect of your upbringing that was like emotionally invalidating no i mean i think we i had two messages um 
that were conflicting, which was my dad's message was, it's all about choices. That was his motto, which meant, um, which was meant to be positive. Like, you know, you are responsible for this situation. Mm -hmm. You know, you have control, you have power, you can choose the path that you're on. Um, that was his, you know, effort equals results, you know, like that was, he would always like say businessy things like that. (laughs) And like, you know, you choose the path you're on. And and if you're stressed out about school, maybe you shouldn't have been staying up playing video games all night, Mm. you know? So So no matter what, it's, it solely rests with you though. Yeah. It becomes, it's your fault. Right. Right. And in my head, it turned into, it's your fault. But my mom's message was, it's all going to be okay. Mm. It's all going to be okay. Don't worry about it. So those two things, which was very, she had such forgiveness. She was a forgiving person. She had so much grace and love to give to everyone. She would put her own needs behind others, um, which can be bad (laughs) um, if you're not standing up for yourself, which is a problem I also have. But yeah, so those two things kind of combine to make me, I think, sometimes feel really harshly judging of myself but so badly just then just throwing my arms up and going, oh, it'll be fine, you know, and sometimes that would create panic later because I would. It's interesting how or... those two messages are really kind of opposite of it. Did they butt heads on that? I mean, not in a way that I can definitely remember mm-hmm. specifically, but, you know, um, no, th- that wasn't really like. It, it was just more vague, I think, if they right. put heads on that. I didn't recognize it directly. You know, um, one of the things you have a choice about in life, <laughs> Sarah Schaefer and guest <laughs> producer Tony Thaxton, hello. hello. People have been commenting on Instagram. They're like, who's this guy speaking on the podcast? <laughs> so everyone, this is Tony Thaxton. Yes, hello. Um, I know, and sometimes you'll say my name later, and I'm like, should I chime in before she says my name? It feels weird. <laughs> oh, somewhat strange. There's just a guy here. here. <laughs> what if you spoke, and I was like, who are you? <laughs> you guys both have a choice, as do the listeners, in terms of what kind of sheets you sleep on. Yes! You spend a third of your life in your sheets. How about a bedding upgrade, you guys? I'm talking about Brooklyn and sheets. I literally have Brooklyn and sheets and Brooklyn and pillowcases on my bed right now, and I sleep better because of them. Um, and I don't know why. I don't know why having really nice, like thick, but not hot, high quality sheets makes me sleep better, but it does. Um, and they have been named the winner of the best of online bedding category by Good Housekeeping. They have 30,000 plus five star reviews, more than any other online bedding company. They were founded in 2014 by a husband and wife team who they were at a hotel. They thought the sheets were very comfortable. As they were checking out, they said, you know, where can we get these sheets? And they found out it was going to be like thousands of dollars for the sheets. And they said, that's ridiculous. There's got to be a, like, there's got to be a way to cut out the middleman and get these sheets into people's hands by disrupting and innovating and uh, <laughs> revolutionizing the market. I might be, uh, I don't know if they decided they were going to revolutionize it, but that's <laughs> what they did. Uh, Cause apparently most betting is marked up by as much as 300%. Um, so anyway, these are luxury sheets uh, at affordable prices and my Brooklyn and she, Oh, and also I should mention they have lots of different colors and patterns and stuff. So super stylish too. My Brooklyn and sheets are the best, most comfortable sheets I've ever slept on. Now it's time for your upgrade. Brooklinen.com is giving an exclusive offer just for you guys. My listeners get 10% off your first order and free shipping. When you use promo code, best friend at Brooklinen.com. Brooklinen is so confident in their product that all their sheets, comforters, and towels come with a light lifetime warranty. The only way to get 10% off your first order and free shipping is to use promo code best friend at brooklinen.com. That's brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code best friend. Brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code best friend. One last time, Brooklinen, B-R-O-O-K-L-I-N-E-N.com, promo code best friend. Brooklinen, these really are the best sheets ever. Um, um, wait, can I just make a comment yes. about sheets really quick? You can. It's not in conflict with what you just did. So no worries there. I'm, I can't, I'm all ears. So I have a very rich friend 
who was my boss when I first got out of college. I lived in New Orleans for one year, and he's he's a very well off businessman in New Orleans. It's a huge mansion. It's like in the uptown district. It's like looks. It's just insane. And she's an interior designer. It's so beautiful. And it's New Orleans, so there's color and like yeah. it's just art everywhere in this house. And they let me stay there every time I go to New Orleans. And the first time I stayed there, I stayed in what's called the princess room. Of course they have names. Um, it's of their, their daughter's room. room. It's just like gorgeous floral, you know, coordinated everything. I mean, it's just like so gorgeous. It looks like it's out of a magazine. And I get in the bed and I'm like, this is the most luxurious bed I've ever been in. These sheets are insane. They must have cost, you know, right. thousands. So the next morning I'm like, what are those sheets? They're the, they're, it's, they're for a princess. What are they? She's <laughs> like, they're actually not that expensive. Do you know what the secret is? And I was like, what? She's like, I get them pressed. Oh, wow. What? If you iron your sheets, which who has the time? I, she who sends them out. <laughs> she sends them wow. out to a place. I've I mean, actually heard about this. If you press your sheets, they become like luxury, a, a tenfold above what they are. And it's just, I got to try it sometime. Yeah. Like if you have guests coming, like, and you want to impress them. Right. Press those press, sheets. Press the sheets. Press the sheets. Take them to a dry cleaner and say, press my sheets. I'm tempted to do this. Imagine if we pressed our Brooklyn and sheets. I That's would never get saying. out of bed. That's what I'm saying. I never Take would. it to the next level. Yeah. Let's talk about your album. <laughs> okay. Live, laugh, love. Yeah. Um, let's talk about when you realized you have an issue with inspirational quotes on Driftwood. <laughs> oh, well, you know, you start noticing inspirational quotes on pieces of Driftwood in multiple fonts. You know, you start noticing them a few years back and now they're just everywhere it's it's pinterest kind of explosion and they're sell them now in stores you yeah. go to any shop when you're traveling and they've got all that crap everywhere and what but what really sent it over the top was my boyfriend's i'll just say someone in his life okay <laughs> your boyfriend's someone <laughs> um family member extended um not naming names um, their house is covered in it. I mean, just every surface, every shelf. It's the word believe probably appears close to 50 times in this house. <laughs> I mean, it is so insane. And we just were like making fun of it, you know, and this person couldn't be nicer. You know, she's amazing, but it's too much. Mm -hmm. It's too much. And so, and is she a kind of corny, cheesy person in general, or does this aesthetic just appeal to her? It just appeals to her. It's, it's cheerful, you know, are the beliefs a religious thing? Or is no, it just, like, not, not like super religious. It's just an inspirational right. house. And, <laughs> uh, you know, and then you start noticing them, you know, and we take pictures and send them around amongst the group of friends and family that like, you know, about this. And it's like, you know, the dumber the one you can find, the funnier it is. Right. Sometimes when you go to shop, I mean, they just make no sense. It's like my kitchen is for dancing. Yeah. You know, it's like what? It's actually for cooking. Like, <laughs> let's be honest. Right. But, but you know, like there's so many variations on it, and I loved, I love <laughs> that joke on my album just because, um, you know, I feel like it's something very zeitgeisty. And the moment I bring it up on stage, I mean, everyone gets it. Everyone starts laughing. It's one of those great, like, in-the-moment jokes right. that I feel very proud of. There's a lot of them that involve tacos, because my sister made reference to that. <laughs> tacos, yeah. And I had, I didn't realize, but any time she sees one, she sends it to me, and it's often mm. like, let's taco about it. Oh, yeah. It's, <laughs> a, they're all punny, and they're yeah. just, you know, it, there's so many ridiculous ones. I've I've looked them up online, uh, you know, for inspiration, for inspirational quote joke. <laughs> I went to a perinatologist, which is a doctor who, um, like assesses high risk pregnancies because mm -hmm. I have extra fluid, long story anyway. Um, <laughs> and her office has an inspirational quote on the wall. It's actually by mother Teresa, but it's like not a famous mm -hmm. quote. And it's also kind of long. And anyway, I just, a lot spent, of them are too long. Yeah. You know, I couldn't parse it yeah. in a quick glance. It, I just spent a lot of time thinking about like, okay, so she buys or rents or whatever, find, settles into this office space and then decides she's going to have this quote stenciled onto her wall. What <laughs> yeah, is the, the process of that? The on the wall is a big choice. Yeah. 
yeah. there's like little there's extra frippery around it yeah there's like swirls and flowers yes and shit around exactly it. Yeah. i also wanted to talk to you about hobby lobby mm-hmm. because my husband and i had a similar experience to the one you had mm-hmm. um i know that you have a craft nook mm-hmm. you're very into crafting. you have an etsy store yeah where do people go if they want to find it uh, etsy.com slash shop okay slash bobo's nook bobo that's Who's my bobo? nickname yeah that's um, my family nickname i love it so my husband is very crafty and artistic and like he'll he'll uh i'm sure he's fine with me saying this sometimes on his lunch break he'll go to michael's and he'll just walk around i love him yeah he's like i love him so he much. can see that totem pole thing there of twin peaks characters oh yeah he made that he what? molded oh. it and sculpted it and painted wow, it and that's he does- really good yeah, he's really he like anything That's detailed. I can't even cut in a straight line, but anything yeah, visual. My boyfriend is more art. He's more artistic than I am, and I'm crafty. There's right. a little bit of a difference. Yeah, but I'm not as good at just like I can't draw. Right. You know. Yes, my husband can do both. But anyway, we were in Palm Springs, and there was a Hobby Lobby, and so we I forget why we I needed to use the bathroom, but the rule mm. was like okay, we're not going to spend money. <laughs> we're just gonna look at it but it is amazing it's an amazing store yeah i mean it's really truly spectacular in there i did not i had no idea i'd never been in one and that's what the joke on the album that's my other favorite joke on the album oh. it's really long i'm like feel like i'm trying i'm actually sort of saying something meaningful <laughs> yeah. with this joke but um but yeah it's it's uh ho- the hobby lobby debate is really funny in that you know i I like strive for moral purity, but it's impossible. Mm-hmm. And um, Hobby Lobby was a place that I did, you know, politically disagree with them. Right. But then I go in there and I'm like, oh my God, what? This <laughs> isn't <laughs> fair. Yeah. And then, you know, there's all this stuff with Hobby Lobby in the news about their hypocrisy and their, their you know, immoral behavior that's really funny when you put it all together and so i love this story and it's actually like one of those uh stories it's like really long on the album and it's um one of those that like literally the next night i had a whole new section to add to it (laughs) it just would never have i mean (laughs) i'll still tell it it's it is one that's kind of hard to tell at certain types of shows Mm -hmm. because it's a thinker you have to like give a lot of information about what is hobby lobby because you don't know what's the controversy over them what's my oh i'm into crafting i gotta get that out Mm -hmm. i gotta it's all a lot of background yeah Yeah. and there's all these things it's a it's a long sort of detailed saturated story and um it doesn't work in every venue and have um, you found yourself in a venue telling it and you can already tell it's going south yeah i can be like oh shit they don't they don't get it (laughs) they don't like this but i just got it and i'll have shorter versions of it and i can usually tell leading up to it from other jokes if it's going to be the type Mm -hmm. of audience that can handle it um you know, some college kids don't particularly care for that joke because it's too much. Mm-hmm. It's too much. It's not dumb enough. Not that that's interesting. Dumb. I would think that some college do. Ki- some yeah. do. It depends on the school, right? You know? um, it's a. It's not that it's dumb or sophisticated or you know whatever. It's just it's. I think a little older of a point of reference. Yeah, you know, it's like they don't go to. They don't care about Hobby Lobby, <laughs> right? Give a fuck, you know, like um so well they're also not yet in a world really where it matters if their employer is covering their birth control yes and they're not making choices based on their political they don't even know really their political leanings quite yet yeah they might know a little bit some of them are more activated than others but yeah it depends on the show i can usually tell though but from the earlier jokes if it's going to be the type of crowd that can where did you record the album um at the comedy attic in bloomington indiana it's a great club just known for awesome audiences and thank God because the first show was basically the album. I made almost no edits, which felt great because my first album was like nitpicking and like, yeah, take this line and this word from the second show and put it in the, you know, and I thought I was being crazy and they were like, this is actually not that bad compared to what some people do. But this one, I was like, it's pretty much perfect. There was just a couple little things that I changed, but, um, and took out or whatever. But, because the second show, I just had one night to, mm-hmm. to tape. Um, I was at the club for three nights, though. But the first show was, like, almost sold out. Great crowd. Second show, no joke, like, 20 people came. Oh, God. And I was, like, joking throughout the show. I was like, you guys, thank God the first show went well. Because 
y'all are really nice and we're having fun, but this is not usable. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, and it's just a, it's a humbling moment. You know, I mean, selling tickets to a comedy show is really difficult if mm. you're not really well known. Yeah. Or have a following of your own. And I'm not just not quite there. So don't do a lot of clubs actually mm. because of that. But Comedy Attic is smaller in size and um they just the guy that runs it just gets it and he's great and will let you know you know and if you're going to do a whole weekend of shows at a club there's going to be a few that don't have as many tickets unless you're someone who is a draw Mm -hmm. um so it's always a risk but thankfully it worked out there's a moment on the album where you so there's a few songs on the album yeah where you forget a line yeah (laughs) um that you you really that forgot, real. right? Oh yeah. yeah, I wrote the song the day before. Okay, but and I did that on purpose because I wanted something on the album that felt new and high stakes and would keep me loose and vulnerable, right? Because I like me as a performer in that mode. Um, so I was really really willing to make mistakes, and I think that made it feel more intimate. I loved that. I was like, this is like what a consummate performer that you're just like. I just forgot. I forget the next line. And that, yeah. like, you didn't f- seem flustered at all. I mean, I was internally. I was like, you did, sh- it didn't sound like together, it. you know. Yeah. Um, but it makes you kind of like lights of fire because a lot of that material was like really old mm-hmm. or just so rehearsed at that point. I was right. Like, I just got to feel loose up there. I got to bring the adrenaline. I need to get that pumping. And, and you know, it was going to be pumping anyway, but I wanted to like um, have something that would make it feel like I'm because I'll never do that song again. It was about the album. Mm hmm. So it was about the experience in that moment. So I wanted it to feel like you had, this is a moment in time to hear me perform. That's one of the things I love about albums is that they do have that more, you know, this happened one night, right? one special night, (laughs) you know, in a dark room in in Indiana. And I love that about comedy albums. Specials are way more, um, they just, because you're looking at it and it's usually a fancy and they just... televised specials feel so much more um i guess inauthentic they're like cut together and Mm -hmm. you know but an album feels more raw right so i liked that i i kind of screwed up and was nervous and and then at the end there in the last one someone had to help someone yelled out the line for me (laughs) because it was the court and i forgot it and and it was so funny because they had to help me (laughs) i already forgot it i didn't even know that you play guitar Oh yeah, when I started in comedy, I was doing music. Um, so not yeah, I, I did. I, I've had you on the show enough that I suspect no, I did know. I this did, at one people point. don't know this. Okay. I mean, because I stopped doing it before people knew who I was. But I had uh, my first comedy act was two songs I had written. One was about my cubicle, and one was about Excel, the Microsoft <laughs> Excel data sheet program, um, spreadsheet program. It was office humor, guys. Um, but and I couldn't even play guitar. I'm like so bad at guitar. Um, I was so nervous I couldn't play an instrument and sing. So I had my song. On, I did it on a keyboard. I also play piano. I did it on a, a keyboard I had, and I recorded the track into my computer and would bring a CD everywhere. Mm-hmm. This is before iPods. <laughs> I would bring a CD everywhere and perform these songs to the track. And if the club didn't have a CD player or if it was broken, I just couldn't perform. <laughs> I had nothing else. <laughs> and I'm just like, I'm out. <laughs> it was horrible. It was so embarrassing if that happened. But uh, but yeah, it was my little songs at first. And and then I just wanted to talk and, and be not married to the CD I had to take everywhere. Right. But yeah, over the years, I've, I've incorporated songs once in a while. Well, I know that you... Ho- host this show for AOL where you interviewed musicians, yeah. right? And um, and we met at an audition mm-hmm. yeah. for like Fuse. some show on Fuse. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but was music a big part of your life at one point? Uh, yeah. I mean, I was like very involved in church choir and I was like the music director of this youth Christian community that was like extracurricular church activities. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it wasn't just enough to go to church. <laughs> you gotta get the other, the bonus. Yeah. Um, so I was like very into guitar and piano, obsessed with piano. Um, and then it just sort of died off because I wasn't a technically, I had lessons, but I was not a like classically trained musician. I, I just would play, by the time I was in high school, I could play by ear, but very poorly. I'm very shy. I don't, about especially about piano, I'm like very insecure about 
my skills. So I like to play for me. My goal is to have a like a baby grand one day that I can just play. I had a keyboard, but I had to sell it because I was like, I'm not. It's not the pleasure. I want the the real piano. Right. That's what I want because it's want a hobby. It's not a. Do you play? Yeah, but I, I did when I was younger. I haven't played the piano in a long time. You gotta but pick it back I lo- up. It's I so know. relaxing. Yeah, I miss it's it. Just a, and it's really a good brain exercise because piano is one of the um, is an instrument that um, requires both your left brain and your right brain, especially if you're reading music mm-hmm. or you know trying to follow along. At least maybe you're not a you know a super music reader, but it's it's a really good brain exercise. It like lights up all the brain. You know what I used to do which is a total cheat. Um, but so I could read it faster. I would just, cause I do read music, but I would just write the like a F like the, I would just write it oh, next right. to it. Yeah. That's what you would do in the beginning. Yeah. But then I would just learn, <laughs> well, I would be lazy and I, I would, if I hadn't heard the song, I couldn't play it. Yeah. I didn't know how long to, to hold the time signatures. Yeah. yeah. Um, but I would just read the chord at the top. So it would tell you what the, and once right. I learned the chords, I would freestyle it based on what I knew the song was kind of like and just place oh, my good. own version of it. Um, you could be a music teacher. No, I would be a failure of a music teacher. <laughs> I'd be like, ah, just a little bit faster. That's what that means. <laughs> I took piano lessons here in LA like five years ago when I first moved here. And um, I realized just how little I knew and mm-hmm. how hard it was to unlearn your bad yeah. habits of well, even just the way I was holding my hands right. and like, it was brutal and I had to stop because it was just like hurting my, but I was like, I know this is good for me because it hurts my brain Yes, to do it. <laughs> I love stuff like that though, because, yeah. especially with music, because it's like such a, it's like, it's so immersive. You have to be totally focused yeah. on it. I mean, if you're, it's like stand up now when I'm doing stand up, I'm just so used to it unless it's a new experience or new material. I'm I'm doing the jokes and then my brain is doing something else. I'm thinking about other things. Yeah. And that's like that's good. But when I do music it's so it's challenging enough where I'm like totally in it, you know, immersed. Tony is a professional musician. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I'm so what, now you're here to tell us how much we suck. No, I was gonna say the the way you're saying you are with stand up. That yeah. is how I like. I play much better if I'm not thinking about it. Like I'll be thinking about everything but the song I'm playing. Yeah, and, yeah. What do you play? Uh, drums are what I I mostly. Oh, drums play, is. But really he was in hard. a band called Motion City Soundtrack. Oh yeah, which they were. I've famous. heard of them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this is that Tony. Wow, you just got way more interesting oh. to me. <laughs> That's awesome. Drumming to me is seems so hard. Like just to keep I would just it just I'd be good for like maybe ten seconds and then be like, Oh no, I'm off. I can't I can't keep up, you know. I'd play piano though. I see Piano I, is percussion I, yeah. in a way. Um isn't it technically? I mean, a percussion. I, I, is it? Te- it's percussion because you're wrong. it's a thing just, hitting a thing, right? You know, but, yeah. but I guess that's everything. But I, I mean, don't know. it's got the, you know, you you have to be you're hitting it. Yeah, and diff- a per- there can both, be a percussive element, of yeah. maybe. Yeah, yeah. Well, I remember yeah. when I was music director for the Christian community, the youth community thing. Um, that was the first time I like had to. I got really. I, my guitar improved significantly because I was playing with a big group of people playing guitar and I had to keep up. Yeah. And I wasn't on my own. I had to keep up and that made me much better. And, you know, when you play piano, generally you're playing by yourself. So you don't have anybody to keep up with. Mm-hmm. So if you're in your band, you're the one that they have to keep up with. That's right. I'm a You judge. set the tone. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> um, you guys, I need to talk to you about bras. Okay. Natural segue coming right off of steam your bra. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Press your bras. Third love. Um, Oh my God. Wearing a third love bra right now. Is it the t-shirt bra? Um, No, mine's a different different one, but yeah. Do you love love them? I have like 20 of them. Wow. You, you should be doing this. (laughs) Um, Third love has more sizes than any other, than most other brands. They offer 70 sizes, including their signature half cup size, uh, because it turns out that most women wear the wrong size bra. 100%. Not, not Sarah Schaefer anymore. Oh, no. Had you been wearing the wrong size bra before, do you think? I don't know if I even did it right this time, but it's what feels good. Well, there you go. Yeah. That's enough. Um, if you go to their website, there is, which thirdlove.com slash Allison, 
There's a fit finder quiz and you just answer a few simple questions to find your perfect fit in 60 seconds. And I love it because it's photo based. Yeah. You look at, you click on what, which boob looks yeah. like your boob. Like those right? are my, the problem that I have is I'm like, I've got a few of these different boobs. <laughs> I mean, I, look, I only have two, but, but you've got a, a few boob and, issues yeah, happening they, in there. They change over time. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> little bit of TMI. Mm-hmm. I'm so pregnant that my boobs stick to my pregnant belly now. Like they can't just oh, go where they want to go. Yeah. It's okay. The quiz is fun. Takes less than a minute to complete. Uh, and third loves help helps you identify your breast shape and size and find styles that fit your body. And there's a hundred percent fit guarantee. They have fit stylists that are available every day to help via text chat or phone returns and exchanges are free and easy um something i love about third love bras is that they have tagless labels because i hate mm. tags mm-hmm. on bras Ooh, i just got like a yeah thinking i hate it. them and i always try to like rip them out or cut them out and if you rip them out sometimes you'll just like end up Destroy ripping the bra, the bra yeah. yeah and if you cut them out then you still feel the little, the little tiny edge. digging in no. i hate it you know <laughs> got really Got really passionate about that. You don't have that problem with Third Love's bras because they have straps that won't slip and they have tagless labels, lightweight, super thin memory foam cups, etc. Third Love knows there's a perfect bra for everyone. So right now they are offering my listeners 15% off your first order. Go to thirdlove.com slash Allison now to find your perfect fitting bra and get 15% off your first purchase. That's thirdlove.com slash Allison thirdlove.com slash Allison for 15% off today. Okay. I'm just trying to figure out whether we should do just me or everyone where people write in with things they think or do and they wonder mm-hmm. to just me or everyone or a new segment I have called how dare you where I ask you nosy questions. Um, except that I don't have, I, I, since I've introduced it for the most part, I don't have the guts to ask the nosiest questions. So I just ask mildly nosy questions. Oh, ask them. Okay. Um, I'll just say no, no comment. Or is it you to just me? say, yeah, you say, how yeah. dare you? Oh, you I say, how dare you? Yeah. Okay. I got it. Now got here's it. the question I like to ask before I start scale of one to 10, one being your very private 10 being you're mm. an open book. Where do mm-hmm. you place yourself? Ooh, eight, seven. Okay. Yeah. We can work with that. Mm-hmm. Now I will ask you the more nosy ones because you have, said you've given me carte blanche to do that you can't i would just won't eat i'll just That's say fine. how dare you and okay. I'll, I'll leave no, i'm just kidding <laughs> and i'll just like never talk to you again and think of you differently yeah if and if i don't answer it's probably just because there's just certain w- areas of my life that i that i shut off yeah and okay. then there's other stuff that's just whatever you want you know right all right let's hear the little thing happy to be on the show ask me anything you want to know I'll be sure to what? How dare you? <laughs> How many partners have you had? Oh, I love that because I'm not embarrassed by that. Um, I don't know the a- actual answer. I think I was like, ca- so I had one partner because you were you've been you were married until I was 30. Yeah, so it was very easy to keep track at that point. <laughs> and then after that, it went up real quick. Were you like making up for lost time? Yes, hundred percent. And then it, I was counting at first because it was so exciting. Uh-huh. And then uh, there was a point where I just stopped. And now I've been with the same person. So in between that time, I mean, it was a lot. I think it got up up above 20. Mm-hmm. Definitely. But below 30, you think? Maybe. Yeah. Somewhere in there. Now, were you like... And we're up- talking in the course of like a year and a half. <laughs> yeah. I did a similar thing where I... Like my number was always extremely low, and then I moved to New York, and like it just like boop, yeah, <laughs> and just shot I mean, up. I was so, so into wild oats because of my particular, you know, situation. It was never going to get that high, right? But I always wonder, like, what would it be if I had been single that whole time, or if I was still single now? You know, yeah, I don't know, but you know, I have no shame over that. That's not when, when you were making up for lost time. Was mm. it like learning about? Was it my body? Like, yeah, learning about sex. <laughs> yeah. Was it like Julia Roberts in that movie that I hate, The Runaway Bride, where she doesn't even know how she likes her eggs? Oh no! <laughs> I'm no. just kidding. <laughs> That's ridiculous. Yeah, no. Um, it was like you know, um, me learning a lot very quickly, and some of it was really hard. 
And some of it was really fun. Hard, and, like painful? Yeah, like, oh, that was so humiliating. Uh-huh. I don't like that. Or that was a close call. Right. Like dangerous. I shouldn't have put myself in that situation or like whatever. a one night stand kind of thing. Yeah, I did like a one night stand. He got kind of nasty and it was like, what? It was a stranger. It was right. Like, what if I, what if he was a murderer? Like I, I just was so yeah. scared by myself. Did you was, go home with him? Or did we he went come to a to hotel? Your, oh, his okay. hotel. He was like in from out of town and we gotcha. met at a party and it just got bad. And yeah. it was like, I got out of there and was like, ugh. And then I was had a joke about it in my stand up. And didn't occur to me until like years later that I had been assaulted. Mm-hmm. And it was a very funny, it's on my first album, very funny joke. But now it's kind of disturbing when I think about it. What happened? Uh, he punched me. Oh my God. Yeah. Because <laughs> I said, well, oh the, my God. You know, well, I said, uh, why don't you be a little rough? You <laughs> oh, know, I'm and sorry, being so, that. that's what's funny about it is that it's so naive yeah. for me to say that not knowing what it meant to some people. Now, I the, feel like most people wouldn't no, interpret that, it that in the way. Joke, I'm like, in the joke, I'm like, in a way, I did kind of ask for it. You know, <laughs> the way you ask for uh, when you go to a restaurant and you say to the waiter, have the chef surprise me because you're right. some kind of douchebag that does that. <laughs> have the chef surprise me. And then they bring you a plate of steaming human feces (laughs) that would be a surprise you are surprised you did ask for it you know and so that's how that's from my the joke but there was a point where it just sort of hit me sorry that wasn't the right wording but it it hit me that i had been hit um no it hit me that like it wasn't okay what he did and it was really screwed up and you know i was so lucky to be like that it didn't damage me that i was old enough and and but i'm like what if he you know because this was the other wrinkle to it is that which i don't even want to say is that he is sort of well known oh and not in the comedy world in a different in music and um you know and it's not me it's definitely one of (laughs) your other band members no no um no uh it it, sorry um and he's kind of well known and like but like to a younger audience Mm -hmm. which is why i didn't even i didn't even know who he was and um was it raffi it was raffi (laughs) raffi punched me during sex um (laughs) no and he he like uh what if he did something like that to a younger person who was vulnerable and didn't understand did he punch you in the face yeah i mean it it was not a closed it was the heel of his hand right on my jaw i mean it was and he didn't even say i went why don't you be a little rough and I he feel like that immediately means like, hit me. Right. Immediately. Like he would maybe he would have anyway. And it I was like, just so weird. It was so weird. Be a little rough is like pinch my butt, pull no, my hair. That's what in the joke I'm like, it's like you tug a couple pieces of yeah. my hair and you it's correct my posture into the mattress, like <laughs> right. to roll my shoulders back with your hands. Yeah. You know, like maybe like, you know, lightly touch my throat, like with the pressure of baby's breath. Like, you know, like like that's yeah what i thought it meant and you know i didn't you know of course there is a spectrum but definitely don't ever do something like that without discussing it first you know being like okay how's that and then you work your way up to it you don't like with a stranger just do something like that it's awful right all right in the category Mm -hmm. of i have different categories oh i love it in the category of money (laughs) what is the most you've ever spent on a single item car house excluded Oh yeah, I love this. Um, hmm. I used to have a real shopping problem. Online or in person? In person. Um, so I mean, yeah, I probably have bought like a three hundred dollar sweater. Um, I'm trying to think of any. I know I've spent probably. I mean, laptop. That's that's a boring answer, right? No, we're <laughs> looking for something like it's examples. like a splurge item or like yeah. A, like um, I had Chris DiStefano on the show, and mm-hmm. he spent like nine thousand on Super Bowl tickets or something <laughs> yeah. for bad seats too. <laughs> no, I've never spent crazy uh, money. Maybe like the great, but they've all been things that are like sort of in the realm of possible. Like the Grand Canyon trip was kind of pricey, you know. Um, Do you want to say how much? You don't have to. Whose side am I on? (laughs) No, I can say how much. I mean, but I don't remember because we got a discount and I paid for both of us and she paid me back. So I'm like, it was somewhere between two and three thousand dollars for the and that was like a good deal for what it was and what Mm -hmm. I got out of it. So, yeah, that was a a trip well worth the money. Right. Um, But yeah, I don't. Yeah, maybe I've spent like 
like uh, splurged on a hotel, you know, like Scott and I went to this hotel in Sedona, Arizona. That was amazing. I've never been to Sedona, but I it's hear pretty. about it. Yeah, it's really pretty. And um, I think the rooms were like, for me, it was expensive, like $300 a night. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh my God, we're rich. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know if I've ever done anything crazy. Um, what is the meanest thing you've ever done to someone? Oh, fuck. <laughs> <laughs> nah, that, you know, that's a trigger for me. If I say it out loud i might never sleep again okay then how then how dare you (laughs) i am a good person and i've never done anything mean okay here's one it's not it's not really that nosy but i love it and it came uh because for i came up with the questions and then i put them to my patreon listeners and i was like do you guys have any questions you want me to ask people uh and this one came in from whitney and i'm on patreon patreon.com slash allison rosen what is the last thing you screenshotted? Ooh, let's see. I hope it's something embarrassing. I screenshot the most random stuff. Oh, it's so boring. What? It, can it be a purposeful screenshot and sure. not an accidental one? Sure. <laughs> I accidentally <laughs> screenshotted my alarm this morning. <laughs> <It's> 608. <laughs> 608. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, that was an accidental one. I want a real one that I meant to. Hold on. Let me go to the actual screenshot folder. Mm-hmm. You know you have one on those? I always there? forget. And whenever I see it, I'm like, I should remember that I have this. Where is it? Hold on. I screenshotted. It's boring, but I screenshotted me being number three on iTunes. That's a cool thing. <laughs> it did reach number two during the day, but I only screenshotted the three. That's awesome. Um, yeah. And then there's another one of, um, oh, I was going to send it to a friend to trigger them. My, <laughs> my, um. The number of emails in my inbox. Oh, what is it? 114,200. Oh, my God. <laughs> and people get like, they're like, just just mark all red. Mark <laughs> them all. And I'm like, I don't, if you think I notice or care, it would never have gotten that high. See, I have a ton of emails. Well, not compared to you, but I have never cared or just, noticed. What's your text bubble number? None. Text. Yeah, same. Down because I saw someone with like hundreds of text things, and I'm like, how can you live like that? That I don't understand. It must be they're getting notifications from something. Maybe I turn all notifications off. I look at that and I'm like, oh, that person is single. (laughs) I I assume that's what single people's lives. Maybe they're on. Maybe they're on group text or something because I'm yeah. on this group oh, with other moms right. yeah. and all of a sudden I'll look at my phone and it'll be like 17 texts and it's all one thread. Right. right. Yeah. Um, Sarah Schaefer, it was so much oh fun God, having I you on the show. I love you so much. I, I can't believe you're just like about to have another baby. It's true. Just like so Imminent. soon. The next time I see you, you will definitely By the time the listeners hear baby. this, there will be another oh baby. Oh my gosh. Um, and I think I have to get that freedom app. I just, I'm yeah. scared. Why are you scared? You it's hard. Well, scared I know is not why. the right to scared let go is not of the, it. I it's not scared is the wrong word. It's more like I have a compulsion and addiction to Twitter and I don't want to be without it. Mm-hmm. Ex- but it like I know that it's not healthy. Well, Especially th- that's why I say use freedom because if you can go okay and start out big. Just say okay, I've only got it. I've got it for 5 hours a right. day. That way, your early morning and your night, you don't have it. Yeah. And, or just whatever you think you, maybe just morning you get it. And, you know, just try a little bit and then work it where it's more strict. Because I found, at first I was doing like 15 minutes. That wasn't enough time. Right. Because if I tweeted something, I would panic that I had made a mistake or (laughs) accidentally said something racist, you know? (laughs) As so often happens. You know, just it's how it is. No. um, But I needed time for the tweet to like simmer. Right. So that I could tell if something crazy had happened. And I have had situations where I've gone a couple days and not looked at it and gone back and been like, oh, that went viral. Why? Am I, where are all these coming from? These replies? And things? It's kind of exciting. Yeah. But I think just try it a little at first. And so that you're just, okay, the second half of the day, I don't look at it. All right. You know, I'll and ease then my way you still it. have it. You still have your baby, you know? I mean, your, your <laughs> Twitter, Twitter baby. baby. Yeah. Yeah. Does all right. Work on a computer too. Yes, that's okay. freedom. Works on all your uh, on your all your devices. So that's what I like about it. Is there's no way I have one workaround, which is like you can if you get on your laptop, you can change the time zone. Mm. So you uh. might 
but it's like that's limited too because there's really you know what i'm not gonna i'm not gonna like figure out what the time zone is in africa you know like whatever right. so i have a couple hours leeway if i need to hop on to promote something that i forgot about so if you ever see me on twitter at a weird time like just relax okay i've got <laughs> it under control <laughs> everyone should go out and get your album Thank live you. laugh love where mm. can they get it it's on all the streaming you know, if you go to sarahshaver.com, there's a there's a post at the top that has all the links. Okay. To everything. Wonderful. Anything Thank else you. you want to plug or mention? No, that's it. Thank you so much. Tony, where, where, where might we Marijuana. find you? No. <laughs> where uh, might we find you? Uh, just at Tony Thaxton, Twitter and Instagram. I'm not on Freedom, so right. I'll still be on there. I'm still on there for now. Yeah. I'm You're at Alison Rosen. I know. Uh, at Twitter and Instagram, I have a book out. I have uh, t-shirts, ringtones, etc. I have another podcast called Childish. Um, check out all that stuff at alisonrosen.com. And I'm on Patreon, patreon.com slash alisonrosen. Sarah, thanks again thank for you. coming by. Listeners, thank you for listening. I love you. Goodbye. Hey, do you know about the Allison Rosen Show? Rosen is your new band.